All right. Everybody say mind games. We are 10 weeks into this series, and we've been talking about mental and emotional health. How many of you guys need some more mental and emotional health? And if you didn't raise your hand, most of us would say that you do. Um, our whole world does. Our church, I mean, listen, the church at large, there's been an attack on the mind. Uh, and it's been going on for a long, long time. The enemy knows if he can get in your mind, he can mess with your life. And so he's constantly playing mind games and heart games and just trying to get you discouraged or defeated, depressed, overwhelmed, stressed, anxious. And so we've been taking time in this series just to address the issues of the mind and the heart and get our hearts and minds renewed so we can walk in victory. And uh, today I want to talk to you about getting your heart to beat again, getting your heart to beat again. Turn to someone next to you and say, get your heart to beat again. How many of you guys think that's me right there on the picture right there? It's not me, but I want it to be me. Um, <laughs> any, anybody just love like just cliff jumping into the lake or the river or just like you just love like doing something that's kind of like I love that kind of stuff. I love outdoor adventures. I, in fact, this past weekend, I celebrated my birthday, turned 36. I don't, I'm like still in denial. I feel like I'm 23. I'm going to stay 23 the rest of my life. Um, but but I, while I was on my birthday, I was with a group of friends, and we were at the lake here in Oklahoma, and, and I was like, who wants to go jump off a cliff together? And nobody wanted to, and so <laughs> they were like, you know, you should probably stop doing that. You're starting to get older, and I was like, I'm never going to stop jumping off cliffs. So I got one friend to go with me, and um, we went cliff jumping. I got a picture. There is a picture of me jumping off a cliff. Um, this is not it, because Oklahoma doesn't have anything like this. But this is a different cliff uh, that I went jumping off last summer. And, and there's just something about, like, jumping in the air, just free-falling into the lake, the river. There's something crazy about it. Like, it just kind of, it just wakes you up. And uh, this past weekend, I was talking with my friend Daniel. We jumped off a cliff here in Oklahoma, and jumped into Grand Lake. And, and we were talking about, we said, you know, as, as, as long as we're alive, we need to keep on jumping cliffs. Like, as long, every year that we get older, we need to do a cliff jump together. In our 80s, in our 90s, we need to just stay young. <laughs> Y'all are like, don't do that, please. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't know if our insurance covers that, but... He's like, please, Paul, stop. Um, but there's something about just doing things that are outside your comfort zone, doing things that require a little bit of risk. And I was thinking about it during this series, how so often, we don't even realize it, but we stop really living. Like we just, we start surviving, existing, and, and our hearts stop beating, even though we're still moving. We, we stop really experiencing the joy and the courage of life. And I want to go to a scripture. It's Psalm 51, verse 12. You can make some noise. We get loud about the word of God. Psalm 51, verse 12. David had just kind of walked through his own personal failure and made some mistakes. And he's crying out to God. He's talking to God about just life and, um, and asking God to renew his mind, renew his heart. And he says this in, in verse 12. I want to go there. He says, restore to me the joy of your salvation. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. What David was really saying was, Lord, get my heart beating again. There's something about disappointment, defeat, discouragement that just causes your heart to kind of shut down. If you've ever been through heartbreak or heartache or, or lost someone or lost something in your life, there's things that begin to just pile up and, and your heart starts kind of just like caving in and, and, and you stop wanting to do anything. You stop wanting to try anything and, and you start just kind of complacently, apathetically, uh, lukewarmly walking through life. And this is one of those messages to shake off the complacency, the apathy, the lukewarmness, and to get your heart beating again. That's what David was praying. He says, Lord, restore to me the joy. Help me to wake up every day with a joy for life. Help me to, to know the excitement of being saved, the excitement of following you. Help me to know the joy of having a heartbeat, the joy of being able to worship and praise. Remind me what it's like to love going to church, to love waking up in the morning, getting out of bed, showing up with a purpose, with significance, with a reason to smile. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. All right, I want to go to a story in the Bible that really does, I think, display what this looks like. And so let's go to 1 Samuel 13, 1 Samuel 13, and um, 
while you're turning there, I'm going to tell you a couple moments in my life where I was literally like risking everything. Um, a couple years ago, one of my friends, he dared me to rappel off of one of the highest buildings here in Tulsa. And um, I had never gone rappelling ever in my life. And he was like, why don't we start with a 36-story building in, in downtown Tulsa? And um, I was like, all right, let's do it. I, I didn't know what I was getting myself into. And he said, we're going to raise money for the Tulsa Dream Center. Um, we'll get a bunch of companies to, like, you know, donate uh, if you do this. And I was like, all right, let's, let's go for it. Um, you know, he knew that I like doing crazy stuff. And so he's like, why don't you get Ashley, get a couple of your friends, get your brother, John. And so there was like seven of us that decided to go rappelling down this I extremely high building. I think we have some pictures of it, of us rappelling down this building. I was freaking out. There's Ashley right there. Um, it looks like we're smiling. We're having fun. If you see Ashley in the top left corner, she's having fun. I'm only smiling after I'm on the ground. I literally was like, I peed my pants, y'all. It was, <laughs> I'm a grown man, and I was, I was so scared. Have you ever done something that just scares you like crazy? Like, this was that for me. I was rappelling down this building thinking, this is not worth it. I will find another way to get people to donate to the Dream Center next time. I'm never doing this again. I could jump a cliff into the lake, but for some reason, this was so scary. There's Tim Newton, AJ, and, and John. There were several of us. We were, you know, rappelling down, and I was so nervous. I was shaking the whole time. I sweated. I mean, it was so scary. And I think as I was studying for this sermon, I was thinking about how so often we have to do things even when we're afraid if we're going to get our heart beating again. You have to do things even with a sense of nervousness even with the sense of fear. We're living in a world right now that's consumed with fears about the virus, consumed with you know, division over the vaccine, consumed with all the things, whether we're gonna shut down again or whether it's gonna spread or the latest variant. And we need a church that's full of faith. We need a church whose heart is beating strong with courage. And I'm looking at a church that is that right here. But in 1 Samuel 13, the, the Israelites had had come under attack, and it says in verse 22, on the day of battle, none of the people of Israel had a sword or a spear, except for Saul and Jonathan. So the king and his son were the only ones with weapons. All of Israel had lost their weapons. All of Israel was under attack. They were hiding in caves. Um, the Philistine army had, surrounding, had surrounded Israel. They were uh, under siege, and so Israel was hiding. And it says the pass at Michmash had meanwhile been secured by a contingent of the Philistine army. So the only way for the Israelites to basically get out had been blocked. So here they are, they're sitting in a place, they're in a holding pattern. And I, I sense in my heart, some of y'all are in a holding pattern right now. Some of you are in a neutral place. You're not moving forward, but you're not moving backwards. It's like the enemy has just kind of placed you in a lukewarm state, a complacent state. You've just kind of stopped taking risks. You're not moving backwards, but you're just kind of sitting right where you are. And it says in, in chapter 14, verse 1, one day Jonathan said to his armor bearer, come on, let's go over to where the Philistines have their outpost. Let's go over to those uncircumcised Philistines. Like Jonathan was kind of bold. He was daring. He was, he was talking some trash. And it says, but Jonathan did not tell his father what he was doing. Why didn't Jonathan tell Saul what he was doing? Why didn't Jonathan feel like he could talk to his dad about it? The reason why is because Saul had already started to lose his kingdom. Saul had already started to move in a place of fear. Saul was already telling his troops, we just need to stay right here. No one needs to make a move. No one needs to step out. So Jonathan was watching his dad shrink back in fear. He's watching his dad tell the troops, don't anybody do anything. And so Jonathan starts thinking, if I'm gonna take a risk, I can't even talk to my dad about it. I hope that one day when my kids get older, and by the way, we have five kids, <laughs> and uh, we had our fifth and final kid this year, but I hope that as they get older, that when they have a risk they want to take, that the first person they tell is their dad. I, I pray that I set the kind of example that one day my kids say, we can trust dad when it comes to risk-taking faith. I can trust talking to my dad. He's not going to be upset if I have a risky idea. Here, Jonathan felt like he couldn't even talk to his dad because his dad was going through his own personal depression. And as the leader goes, so goes the nation. 
It says in verse 2, meanwhile, Saul and his 600 men were camped on the outskirts of Gibeah around the pomegranate tree. So here, as Saul has taken a posture of fear, the entire nation has taken a posture of fear. As the president goes, so goes the United States of America. As the leader goes, so goes the organization. So if the leader says, we're all bowing down to this fear-filled you know, spirit, then the rest of the organization feels like, well, the line's been drawn in the sand, and I guess we got to do it. And, and we're living in a time where we're watching leaders left and right feel like, I've got to give in to this. And we're looking, it's like God's looking to and fro for a church, for someone to say, is anyone going to challenge Goliath? Is anyone going to take any type of a stand? Is, is everyone just kind of like, this is it. We got to do this. And so Saul and his 600 men are camped on the outskirts of Gibeah around the pomegranate tree at Migron. Among Saul's men was Ahijah the priest who was wearing an ephod. So now we have a priest who's pretending to look spiritual on the outside. You can look, you can wear your Sunday's best, but your heart is full of fear. You can, you can sit in a title and a position and be called a pastor, but ultimately, if your heart is, is, is fearing people more than you're fearing God, then you're just in a suit. You're just in a title. David didn't have a suit. Jonathan didn't have a suit, but they were more full of God than the priest was. They were at least willing to take on the enemy that was pushing the Israelites back. We're looking at, at, at people who are literally just choosing to bow down to this spirit of fear. And the priest is there, and Ahijah, one of the other priests, was there. All those who were supposed to serve God and push the Israelites towards victory, they were all under the pomegranate tree. And no one had realized that Jonathan had left. What causes us to stop living? What causes us to stop taking risks, to stop believing with a spirit of faith. I want to give you real quickly 12 ways to get your heart beating again. 12 ways. Number one, drain the swamp inside your heart. Just say with me, drain the swamp. How many of y'all know there's some swamps that we need to drain in our world today? And, and when I say that, I'm, I'm, I'm talking about specifically in your heart. I'm not talking in, in, in the White House. I'm, I'm talking about your heart, that there's some stuff that starts to build up in your heart, offense, anger, pride, jealousy, anxiety, depression. And as those things begin to build up, it, it, it turns your heart into a swamp where you can't even make like sound decisions. You're, you're living with a foggy brain. You're living with a, a clouded heart, a heart that's full of anger and, and pride and jealousy and division and strife. And I, I think about this story, true story. There was a town in Mississippi called Rodney, Mississippi. And Rodney at one time was one of the most flourishing, successful towns on the Mississippi River. In fact, it was called the Little Gulf. It was going to become the capital of Mississippi at one time. It had, uh, over time, it had developed restaurants, churches, businesses. It was one of the most thriving towns in the United States. Today, it sits as a ghost town. If you were to drive up to Rodney, Mississippi, it's just a dilapidated old Methodist church that's there. Everything is gone. But what happened to it, what, what caused it to become a ghost town is that the town forgot what, what built its, its prosperity. The town forgot that its prosperity was connected to the river. And in the 1800s, what happened was there was some silt that began to build up in the Mississippi River right outside of Rodney, about a mile outside of Rodney, Mississippi. And there were sticks and debris, and, and it gradually began to form this natural dam in the Mississippi River. And it shifted the river just outside the town, little by little, inch by inch, every year. After 50 years, it had moved two miles away from the town. So at one time, there was restaurants that sat right next to the water. Now the restaurants were next to literally overgrown trees, uh, muddy, muddy, basically an area that once had water in it, but now it had turned to dried up mud. The churches that were right next to the river, the hotels that were right next to the river, now sat next to just a, an empty riverbed where there was no more water. And as the town lost its connection to the water, the town lost its prosperity. 
So little by little, restaurants started shutting down, hotels started shutting down, churches started closing, schools started closing, the entire town moved. After 50 years, no one was left in the town. And it all happened because someone wasn't paying attention to what was in the water. Someone wasn't paying attention to what was building up over time. How important is it for us to guard our hearts and drain the swamp of stuff that happens in our hearts? Ezekiel says that the Lord will give us, give us a new heart and a new spirit and replace the stony heart. You see, when we don't guard our hearts, when we're not draining the swamp inside our heart, it starts to build up. It starts to become callous. It starts to become placky. It starts to become dirty. It starts to be full of all kinds of stuff. And we don't realize that our prosperity is connected to the water. Our, our success is connected to the river of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, I will produce in you rivers of living water. Come to me and drink. I am the fountain of life. This last summer, I was hiking with my friend, and we were joking about finding the fountain of youth. We were like, what if we found the fountain of youth? You know, just constantly living like we're on outer banks, and we're, we're, trying to, we're on a treasure hunt. We're trying to find something. Um, <laughs> and so, so we're like searching for the fountain of youth. And, uh, but I was thinking about how Jesus literally said, I am the fountain of of water. I'm the fountain of life. And when we're not connected with a pure heart to that fountain of living water, y'all, when we let offense build up, when we let strife build up, when we let hurts build up, it begins to push us further and further away from the thing that gives us life. You've got to drain the swamp of your heart on a regular basis. What, what does clog up your heart? Sin, unbelief, pride, selfishness, depression, anger, hurt, offense. And you might say, Paul, I don't have a choice. Those things just come at me. But you have a choice whether you're gonna let them stick in your heart. Jesus said, offenses will come. You might even get offended at me, what I'm preaching on today. You might go, I can't believe he said that. Can't believe he just said that. I can't, and, and what's happening is your heart is gradually just getting built up with silt. And I'm telling you, you won't find a church where you won't get offended. You'll leave every church by the end of your life. If you let silt build up, you'll find something to get offended at by anything and everything. At some point, you have to go, you know what? It's not worth me holding on to petty little offenses towards everybody and everything. Because what does it do? It, it causes you to miss out on the joy of your salvation. It causes you to miss out on just waking up with life, waking up with hope, waking up with, with faith. Jealousy, when jealousy gets in your heart, when comparison gets in your heart, when worry gets in your heart, when I'm worried about tomorrow, how am I going to pay the bills? How am I going to pay for tuition? How am I going to have food on the table? How am I going to be able to go back home and see my parents? All these worries, it begins to clog your heart. So you got to go back like David and say, Lord, purify my heart. Renew in me a steadfast spirit. Lord, take away anything in me that's clogging up what you want to do. Otherwise, your heart turns into a ghost town. And you drift from the river. You drift from the place where your life comes from. Number two, shift from defense to offense. We're living in a time right now where everybody's just trying to stay alive. Don't catch the virus. Achoo, get away from me, six feet away from me. <clears throat> oh, stay away from me. I'm just trying to survive this week. I can't be near anybody who might be sick. I can't be, and yet Jesus was running to the sick people. Like Jesus was offensively advancing the kingdom of God by telling the lepers, come to me. Telling the blind people, come to me. Telling the woman with the issue of the blood, you can touch the hem of my garment. You are not your symptoms. You are not a disease. You are a child of God. And yet the church is freaking out right now. But not this church. As for me and my house, we're gonna serve the Lord with faith over fear. Come on. <laughs> Community immunity. Let's go. <laughs> Y'all think I'm kidding, but I'm for real. Listen, we're in a time right now where people are just living on the defense. Just, ah, I'm afraid to die. I'm afraid to die. What about just being happy to be alive? Instead of trying not to die, what if I started trying to live? What if I started advancing in a season where people are, are retreating? What if we started moving forward? You know, I was watching my son's football game this past week. Shout out to the first and second graders. They won their first football game. Not that it matters, but. <laughs> and, 
And uh, after the game, I was like, Liam, what did you learn? I think we got some pictures of him up there. And I, I just, our kids just look so cute. There's my three boys right there, Liam, Benny, and Mackie. And uh, Liam, you know, he was like, what did, I said, what did you learn? He goes, I learned that we won and that I get snacks no matter what. He's like, even if we don't win, we still get snacks. And I was like, okay, good, good. And I said, but what else did you learn? He said, I learned that you got to attack the ball on defense. You got to attack. You got to go for it. You know, it's first year tackle football. And, um, and it got me thinking about so often how we're afraid to, to take that, that, that risk in our life. That, that, that attacking, he said, you know, when we're on offense, we just got to go for it. We got to go for it. We got to keep going for it. And I love what they're learning at a young age, just learning to go for it, learning to take a risk. I was at a football game a couple years ago um, here at Victory, and, and our team was losing. And it was in the fourth quarter. We started to make a comeback, and there was like one minute left, and we were down by a touchdown, so we score. And all we had to do was kick the field goal to get the extra point to tie the game up and go into overtime. There's like 10 seconds left, and so the whole stands were like, all right, we're going to kick the field goal. We'll go into overtime, and then we'll have a chance. And, and all of a sudden, the coach says, go for two. Go for two. And like the pastor inside of me at the school and the church was like, I need to go down there and tell him not to go for two. <laughs> and I was like he, like, he needs to play it safe. Play it safe. Um, and all the stands, you know, the armchair quarterbacks were all up there like, what is he thinking? What is he thinking? We're going to talk to him about this, you know. <laughs> and so the coach is like, go for two, go for two. Just turns his back on the stands. Like, I don't care what y'all think, we're going for two. What was he doing? He was taking a risk. He was taking a risk. And it was, it was wild. We were like, why is he doing this? He doesn't have to do this. We could go into overtime. But he went for two. And I love the lesson that he taught the boys that night. He taught them that it's okay in life to go for two that you don't always have to play it safe. You don't always have to just barely get by, that it's okay to try to win. And that night they, they scored the, the extra two points. They won the game by one point in that final 10 seconds. Yeah, it was amazing. But I think about how Jonathan in this moment, when you look at 1 Samuel 14, it's like he's saying, let's go for two. We could sit here, we could survive, we could stay in this apathetic state, we could sit by and, and watch as our enemies keep us uh, at bay, keep us at this place of a holding pattern. But Jonathan was telling his armor bearer, let's go for two. Look at this in verse four. It says, to reach the Philistine outpost, Jonathan had to go down between two rocky cliffs that were called Bozes and Seneh. So just close your eyes for a second. Imagine with me um, that you're walking in the Grand Canyon and you come across this pass where you're literally on both sides, you're looking at a straight drop-off cliff. There's nothing for you to hold on to. It's about a four-foot path, four feet wide, and on your left, you look down, it's 200 feet of a drop-off cliff. You look on your right, and it's 200 feet of a drop-off cliff. That's where Jonathan was at. And he says, let's go down that path. What was he saying? He was saying, let's take a risk. Let's get our hearts beating again. Let's do something that causes us to feel alive again. Don't ask what the world needs. Ask what makes your heart come alive because what the world needs is men and women whose hearts are fully alive. So many people are sleeping through life. So many people are just existing and trying not to catch the virus. And God's looking for anyone who would just say, what if we tried something in this pandemic? What if we took a risk? What if we took a step of faith? What if we dared to believe that God is still on the throne even during a virus? What if we believed that God could do something amazing through a church even during a hard time in our world right now? I had a family reach out to me last week and they said, hey, I heard what you guys are doing for Afghanistan and I wanna help. So our house is available for anyone who comes from Afghanistan. We want them to stay in our rooms. We wanna help them go to Victory Christian School. And I was like, what? This is incredible. What was that family doing? They were saying, we want to live. We want our hearts to beat with what God's heart beats for. We don't want to just play it safe, protect our family from any harmful things out there. We want to be open for ministry. We want to be open for our hearts to beat for what God's heart beats for. Number three, let faith take the steering wheel of your thoughts and your emotions. 
something is going to take the steering wheel of your life. Either fear or faith. Either cowardice or courage. The steering wheel represents the decision-making part of your life. And my challenge for you and for me is that faith would take the steering wheel this year. That I would say faith is going to decide my future this year. Not fear. And not disappointment. Because just, just, just because I face a disappointment doesn't mean that I have to live disappointed. Just because I have a heartbreak doesn't mean I have to let my heart shut down. Just because I experience an offense doesn't mean I have to live offended the rest of my life. I'm going to let faith take the steering wheel. So this is what Jonathan says in verse 6. He says, let's go across to the outpost of those pagans. What if God will help us? For nothing can hinder the Lord. Perhaps God will show up if we make a move. He can win a battle, whether with many warriors or only a few. I love that right there. If you're taking notes, that's a great scripture to underline. Let faith take the steering wheel this year. Israel's leadership was in paralysis. Saul had shut down his entire army. Remember, as a leader goes, so goes the army. As a leader goes, so goes a nation. The entire nation was shut down in fear. Even the priests, they were living in the caves. And Jonathan steps out and he says, what if God will show up? What if, what if we open up, God will show up? What if we rise up, God will show up? The military situation looked hopeless, but Jonathan saw a different vision. Jonathan was focusing on the great I am. He was focusing on the power of his God rather than the power of the enemy. He was focusing on the goodness and the greatness of his God rather than the bigness of the pandemic. He was overwhelmed with faith so he wouldn't be overwhelmed by fear. It was in a climate of anxiety that Jonathan made a decision to, sink, to seek God and make an unthinkable risk to attack a group of soldiers much bigger than him and outnumbered him and his, his armor bearer like 10 to 1. So here he is. He's, he's stirred with this courage. He's stirred with this faith. Fear says, what if you don't make it? What if you sign up to go to ORU and then you have to drop out because you can't afford it? What if you start a connect group and no one shows up? What if you witness to those neighbors and they laugh in your face? What if you, you, what if you ask the girl out and she says no? What if you go back to the doctor to see if you can get pregnant and you're disappointed again? What if you believe for a miracle and it doesn't work out, but faith says, what if God shows up? What if God provides for you at ORU this year? What if God meets your needs as you take a step of faith? What if you wake up with hope and God meets you on the other side to help you succeed at whatever the business venture is? Here's the key. What we meditate on is what's going to take root. So if I focus on fear, I live with fear. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. But if I will use the same energy that I use saying, what if it doesn't work out? To say, what if it does work out? What if God does show up? If I'll use that same energy, my heart will start beating again. And I'll start living with greater faith. Number four, take a God-glorifying risk that requires crazy courage and radical trust in God. Take a God-glorifying risk. It's one thing to take a risk that benefits you. It's another thing to take a risk that benefits God. So a risk that benefits me, let's say I'm single and I'm, I'm looking to like mingle, you know, a risk that benefits me is asking a girl out on a date. She says, yes, all right, the risk worked out. She says, yes, benefits me. But a risk that benefits God is, you know what, I got some time on my hands. I'm not the, like the biggest talker. I'm not great at leading something, but I'm going to start a connect group. It's a risk. And I'm going to do a connect group for young, uh, young adults or for teenagers. This year, I'm going to sign up to mentor someone. That's a God-glorifying risk that could bring him glory, that requires you to get out of your comfort zone. What if a God-glorifying risk for some of you this year is to give away a certain amount of money? Like, what if you decided this year as a business that you were going to give more than you ever gave before? So it's gonna require to, to risk a little bit more, maybe to start a company, maybe to start something on the side. And you say, with this money, I'm gonna fund every Afghan kid that comes to Tulsa, Oklahoma to go to Victor Christian School. I'm going to pay for someone's mission trip this year. I'm going to help a family get a car this year. What if you took a risk that wasn't all about you? What if the risk was about helping others? And what if you put your, your trust in God in motion? Instead of just singing about it, what if you activated it this year? 
Like, what if, you, what if you did do something that was outside your comfort zone? What if you led an outreach? What if you signed up to serve on the dream team? Come on, give it up for the dream team, the ushers, the greeters, the parking lot, the nursery, the kids, the Tulsa Dream Center. Courageous faith sets miracles in motion. So maybe you're here today and you say, we can't get pregnant right now. We've tried. We're watching you guys have five kids in a row, and it's frustrating because we can't get pregnant. What if this year you decided you were going to sign up to serve in the nursery, take care of other kids' babies this year? Not other kids' babies, other, other adults. <laughs> just, just babies having babies up here. But what if you said, you know what? My heart's hurting, but I'm not going to let my heart shut down this year. We just had a miscarriage. We could be angry at God. We could stop going to church. We could stop being a part of a community, or we could give out this year. And in our pain, we could get our hearts beating again. And we could serve and help take care of someone else's kids. And I could mentor someone in the single parent ministry. And I could use my car to pick people up and bring them to church. And we could start an outreach on the weekend and help the homeless. What would that do? It would get your heart beating again. What if the reason your heart stopped beating is because you got so focused on you? See, depression just turns all eyes on me. I'm so depressed right now. I'm so angry. I'm so overwhelmed. I'm so stressed. Anxiety, at the root of anxiety, it's pride. It's I. It's me. So to flip that, to get my heart beating again, I got to get my eyes off me and say, God, what do you want to do through me this year? What do you want to do through me for someone else this year? Jonathan wasn't just fighting for himself. He was fighting for his father. He was fighting for his nation. While his dad had shrunk back in fear, Jonathan was saying, we've got a bigger battle to fight. We can't keep fighting over this vaccine and these masks and these restrictions. We have a bigger enemy at war right now. It's time we stop being divided over petty little issues and start rising up to fight against this spirit of suicide in our nation right now. A spirit of fear, a spirit of anxiety and depression. Y'all, we have bigger viruses to fight than COVID-19. The kingdom of hell is advancing. But I'm telling you right now, this is God's church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Number five, start living with a vision and an appetite of victory in your life. This is why we stir up our words at the beginning of every message and we say, my best days are right in front of me and I have victory in my life. What are we trying to do? We're trying to get our words in alignment with God's word. God wants you to have an appetite for victory. It always boggles me when people say, I don't know about you faith churches because you guys, you guys have an appetite for victory and you know, we're supposed to be in poverty. We're supposed to be defeated and afflicted and suffering and persecuted at all turns. And, and I understand the idea that we, we suffer with Christ, but we also reign with Christ. So yes, we do go through persecutions, but I am struck down and not destroyed. I, I'm persecuted, but I'm not abandoned, right? I have a savior who gives me victory even when I walk through tough times. And he wants me to live with an appetite for victory so that I can be a blessing to the nations. So listen, this last, this last week I was talking with some of our team members. We had an opportunity to come across our desk in the summertime um, that would expand the influence and the impact and the outreach of the Tulsa Dream Center like crazy. It's a risk. It's a big risk. I don't know if it's going to work out. I can't tell you all the details. All I can say is pray for us to have favor, but we are going to take a step of faith, and on the other side of that appetite for victory is going to be thousands of boys and girls' lives who will be impacted for eternity because a church has an appetite for victory instead of just a complacent, apathetic spirit to sit by and suffer and persecute. Listen, there's something about stirring your faith up to say, we are alive for such a time as this. And, and, and we have got to be about our Father's business. And there are opportunities all around if you just have the nose to sniff them out. I, I love being around just like business-minded people who just go, oh, I smell an opportunity. And I'm like, what is it? They're like, I was driving down the street the other day and I just thought, that's victories right there. That's victories, future property right there. Victory's gonna have that campus out there. We're gonna do this out there. One time my dad, he was driving down the road and, um, and he saw a cabin on the side of the road. This was in the 90s. And he calls our associate pastor, Bruce Edwards, and he goes, Bruce, there's a cabin waiting for Victory to have, to put out at Camp Victory in Manford, Oklahoma. Can you go and, and call the company and go get it? And Bruce was like, oh yeah, that's awesome. It's waiting for us? He goes, oh yeah, it's waiting for us. 
So, so Bruce calls the, the, the people, and he's like, hey, uh, I was just talking with my pastor, Billy Joe Darty, and he said, you guys have a cabin for us? And they said, what? What are you talking about? And my dad forgot to inform Bruce that my dad actually never consulted the people. He was just listening to God, talking to him. And so, so the people were like, what, what are you saying? And he's like, did, did you guys talk to my pastor? They're like, no, we've never talked to him before. He's like, do you guys have a captain? They said, yeah. Do you want to give it to us? No. <laughs> and so then Bruce called my dad back. He said, I thought you said that they want to give it to us. He goes, well, God told me that it's ours. I just didn't tell you that they didn't tell me yet that it's not ours. But you know what? We ended up getting a cabin out at Camp Victory all because of that phone call. Because he was living with an appetite to say, and you know what? We're going to get more cabins out at Camp Victory. And this last summer, we were able to minister to thousands of teenagers and kids out at Camp Victory who went to summer camp. While other summer camps are closing down out of fear, Victory Camp is open out of faith. And we're seeing boys and girls get saved, healed, set free from addictions, from depression, from anxiety, coming from abusive homes, experiencing the love and grace and mercy of God. It's time for the church to rise up with faith over fear. Victory is open for ministry. Jonathan was telling his armor bearer, we've got to do this. Perhaps the Lord will help us. Number six, team up with risky friends of faith. You need some risky friends. You need some friends who are with you, ride or die. <laughs> Jonathan looked at his armor bearer and he said, are you with me? Are you with me? Let's do this. I believe God will give us the victory. And I love the armor bearer's response in verse seven. He said, do what you think is best. Go ahead. I am with you, heart and soul. I want the band to come up. Turn to the person next to you and say, go ahead. I'm with you, heart and soul. Now look at your second choice on the other side and say, you too, my friend. I'm with you, heart and soul. It's rare. <laughs> it's rare when you find someone who says, I'm with you, heart and soul. It's rare. But you know, I, I wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for a couple of friends in my life who said, Paul, Go ahead, I'm with you, heart and soul. If it's in your heart to do it, you got a friend in me, Buzz Lightyear. You got a friend in me. When the road looks rough ahead and you're miles and miles from your nice warm bed, you just remember what your old pal said. Boy, you got a friend in me. We all need someone who just says, I'm with you, I'm with you. And, and whatever it is in your heart to do, you wanna start a connect group, let's do it. You wanna go to Afghanistan, let's go. You want to go and witness to some people? Let's go. You want, to, you want to go and give our money away to help people who are poor? You want to do something for the Lord? I'm with you, heart and soul. It's good to have friends of faith like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who say, if you're not bowing down, I'm not bowing down. It's good to have friends who are with you like Ruth said to Naomi and said, your people will be my people. Where you go, I will go. You can't get rid of me. I'm with you. And if this is our last battle, Jonathan... I'd rather go down swinging with you than sit with your dad in the camp out of fear. I'm tired of sitting here. We can't live in fear the rest of our lives. I'd rather be a part of a church that's taken a step of faith than be a part of a church that's just full of fear. So if we go down, let's go down together. Let's go down swinging. Let's go down fighting with faith. This, this is a good fight of faith, and it's worth fighting for. You know what Paul told Timothy? He said, Timothy, come to me quickly. Because people are deserting me in this faith. Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. Paul was telling Timothy, I'm running out of friends who are willing to say yes. I'm running out of friends who are willing to stand beside me through thick and thin. I'm running out of people who say, I I've got your back, heart and soul, I'm with you, Paul. So he says, Timothy, please keep fighting the good fight of faith. It's worth it, it's worth it, it's worth it, it's worth it. It's way more worth living with faith than it is living with fear. So team up this year with some risky friends of faith. Number seven, get outspoken with your faith in God. Get outspoken this year. Speak life. If you're gonna release words out of your mouth, why not speak faith? Why not speak hope? If you're gonna make a move this year, why not make a move of faith instead of a move of fear? The mental and emotionally unhealthy mind and heart 
is always dissipated with anxiety, stress, fear, worry, anger, pride, selfishness, self-absorbed thoughts. But the mental and emotionally healthy person is full of faith. And they're outspoken in their faith in God. You know, this, this is a year for you to invite someone to church. This is a year to witness to someone. This week that you would look at Walmart, at Quick Trip, and just encourage somebody. People are full of so much pain right now. You would be the breath of fresh air, the cup of cold water on a hot, weary day. If you just walked up to someone and said, hey, I just want you to know God has a plan for your life. You should come sit with me this week at Victory. You should come to church with me this week. Our, our city has so many people who are hurting who are heartbroken, people who are searching for hope, people who are overwhelmed with anxiety and fear. And if you just spoke this week, just words of life, words of victory to someone, just speaking that confession, hey, your best days are still in front of you. That's the cup of cold water that a wife needs this week. That's the cup of cold water that a man at work needs this week. That's the cup of cold water that a college student needs this week to just say, hey, God's not finished with you. God's turning things around. Things are gonna get better in your life. Come sit with me this week at church. Number eight, risk moving from isolation into relationship. Get connected this year in right relationships. Your crew determines your view. You know, this, these um, next couple weeks, I'm preparing to do a half marathon here at our church. We're doing a race for victory, and, and um, we're helping raise uh, tuition funds for kids to, to be able to come to school. We're helping raise stuff for the, the ministry. And so um, that one of my friends this past week, he said, hey, how are you doing on your running? How are you doing on your running? It takes a village to keep you accountable in your workouts, in your running. It takes a village to raise your kids. And you know what? You actually show up and do the thing you're supposed to do when you have other people, a community of people that are helping push you towards the goal. And I love how Jonathan wasn't doing this all by himself. He said, all right then, in verse eight, we will cross over together. Everybody say, let's do it together. Let's do it together. Let's do this together. Let's do this as a community. Let's rise up in faith together. And he says this to his armor bearer. If they say to us, stay where you are or we'll kill you, then we will stop. In other words, he's, he's saying this is plural. Don't you leave me hanging, bro. <laughs> We're in this together. But if they say, come up and fight, then we will go up together. And that will be the Lord's sign that we have the victory and we will defeat them. When the Philistines saw them coming up, they shouted, look, the Hebrews are crawling out of their holes. Now it's just two guys. In isolation, you are set up for defeat. But when you are with someone else, when you have a brother, listen, one can put 1,000 to flight, two can put 10,000 to flight. Not only does it double, it multiplies when you have a sister or brother who's fighting beside you. And a three-chord strand is not easily broken. Jonathan began to attack, and their steps multiplied. Come on, right behind me, Jonathan said, for the Lord is going to help us. Everybody say, us. Us. This is a community thing. We've got to do this together. Number nine, keep climbing till you reach the top and prepare to fight. As Jonathan began to climb, you've got to climb even on the days when you don't feel like it. You've got to get in the word of God. You've got to get in prayer. Listen, your, your heart's not always going to feel like waking up, getting out of bed, doing what you need to do. But you've got to choose to climb and, and get to the top. And when you get to the top, you've got to be ready to fight. Like when we completed the Next Generation building last year, it was a great victory for us. But it was just the beginning of the battle. Because even though we were able to do that during a pandemic and, and, and see God do an amazing feat, now we have a generation we've got to reach every single Wednesday to fill out that room. And someone told me a couple weeks ago, they said, don't you see the stats going on right now in the churches across America? The church is losing the battle for the next generation. I said, not at victory. We're seeing teenagers get saved every single Wednesday. We're seeing teenagers get discipled. It's growing in a pandemic. When most teenagers are leaving church, we're seeing teenagers come to church. But we are in a battle that we have to fight. And we need soldiers whose hearts are fully alive. Number 10, the battle belongs to the Lord. We're not fighting this battle by ourselves. You see, God is at work, but Jonathan is too. Jonathan shows up to the battle, but the Lord is the one who wins the battle. 
God is working behind the scenes. As Jonathan and his armor bearer climbed up in verse 13, it says every Philistine that tried to attack them fell in front of them. Every Philistine that tried to attack them, suddenly a panic broke out across the army, both in the camp and in the field, and an earthquake struck. I'm telling you, when you show up to fight, the miracle working power of God is motion activated. When you wake up and get moving in the direction he has for your life, all of a sudden there's a release in heaven. God says, the man woke up today. I'm going to put favor in his steps today. The woman got out of bed today. Even though she's fighting depression, I'm going to give her favor at work today. I'm going to go in front of her, before her boss, and behind her. When you get moving in the direction God has for you, the battle belongs to the Lord. Number 11, lead others into victory. Your victory is not just about you. You fighting to be alive right now, you fighting to break the apathetic, complacent, lukewarm spirit is not just about you right now. It's about other people who are behind you. See, Jonathan wasn't just fighting for himself. He was fighting for the entire army of Israel who had given up. They had lost hope. They had laid down their weapons. They had lost their weapons. The victory is not just about you. It's about seeing beyond yourself that there's other people God's called you to help. There's other people God's called you to reach. I have a friend who serves in the 9 a.m. His name's Dick Webster, and he's in his 80s. His wife passed away four years ago. And when his wife passed away, he said, I'm overwhelmed with, with just sadness. I miss my wife. We did everything together. For 50 years, they were married. And he said, I, I miss her so much. He said, but that's why I gotta come to church every week. And I've decided to serve on the dream team because there's something about giving out that keeps my heart beating. There's something about opening the door for others to experience victory that gives me victory. When I get my eyes off me and I realize the battle I'm fighting is not just about breaking my depression, it's about opening the door for other people to experience victory. And that in turn compounds the victory God has for me. Number 12, never stop advancing. Our hearts and our minds, they were made for more. Growth, challenges, victories, freedom, hope, creativity, stretch marks. You've got to keep on advancing. You've got to keep on stretching. You've got to keep your heart beating. Would you stand to your feet all over this place? I think an interesting part from this story is that Jonathan wins the battle, but his dad is still angry because his dad didn't have the humility to recognize that his son was right. So Saul rebukes Jonathan and says, don't you dare leave the camp like that ever again. So what happens to Jonathan, the son of the king? The son of the king who was born for greatness, destined for the throne. Jonathan was a warrior in chapter 14. And then two chapters later, Goliath shows up, the Philistine army, and Jonathan is nowhere to be found. Because once you've been rebuked by your dad, for taking a risk, there's a crisis of masculinity. And boys just start shrinking back after they see what their dad said last time. And so then God starts looking for another young boy. Is there anyone willing to take on Goliath? Thank God David showed up. And something in David attracted Jonathan's spirit. Jonathan said, I remember that. I remember that kind of courage. I remember that risky faith. I used to live like that before my dad chewed me out for it. Jonathan said, I'm with you, heart and soul. There's something about that risky faith that just makes my heart beat again. There's some of you in this room, you've lost that heartbeat of faith. And you've been watching as the world caves into fear and you're trying to figure out what to do. You're overwhelmed by it all. You're like, I don't know what to think. But there's something in this message. It's, it's like it's, it's stirring your heart to say, yeah. I was born to live with faith. I was born to take a risk of faith. I was, I was born to be a part of a community of faith. You know, I was thinking about how eagles and chickens, they, they, they're, they're different, right? Because chickens, they eat whatever's on the ground in front of them. Eagles have an appetite for victory. They're, 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 they're up in the air. And I remember talking to this pastor, Miles Monroe. He came to me and he said, Paul, you're struggling between being an eagle or a chicken. And I said, okay, thanks so much for that word. And he said, it's because the enemy wants you distracted by what's right in front of you, what's all around you. He said, you gotta learn to get above the clouds. You were born to fly, Paul. You were born to eat on a higher level. You were born to see on a higher level. 
And I don't know who I'm talking to, but someone here today, it's like God's saying, come up, come up. Don't let this message offend you to the point where you miss what God has for you. Let this message stir your heart to say you were born to live with faith over fear. You were born like Jonathan to attack the army that's coming against your God. You were born to rise up with courage and not shrink back in cowardice. Would you close your eyes all over this place? Lord, I just pray for every man, every woman, every boy, girl, God, every family in the room. Lord, I pray that you would stir our hearts with faith. God, that you would stir our hearts to beat again. Lord, I pray for every person in the room who's just kind of become lukewarm, who's just a little apathetic. It's like they're in neutral. They're in a holding pattern. It's like the enemy has gotten them distracted by things going on around them. And, and, and today, Lord, you're charging them with faith. You're reminding them to fan into flame the gifts, God, that you put inside them, the faith you've put inside them. You've not given them a spirit of fear, but power, love, and a sound mind. Lord, I pray for every person who's been caught in in a sideward battle, God, over menial things, Lord, that there's a bigger enemy that they're supposed to be fighting right now. And it's not against their brothers and sisters in Christ. It's not against other Christians or other people in their family. But God, it is against that spirit of fear. And Lord, I pray in Jesus' name, every lie of the enemy is broken off of people's minds and hearts. God, that today, minds are being renewed. Hearts are being revived. Tell your heart to beat again today. Tell your heart to start beating again today. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're here right now, and you just need to get your heart beating again, full of faith and hope and courage, I want you to raise your hand all over this room today. Yes, ma'am, yes, sir, yes, yes, yes. If you've just been battling against discouragement, disappointment, apathy, whatever it is, complacency, if that's you today and you're saying, man, I need, I need to stir up my faith. I need to live this year with some courage. I need to get my heart beating again this year. I need to get out of my comfort zone this year. If that's you, just raise your hand. Today's your day. Yeah, yeah. Come on, Jesus. The demons in hell are trembling when the believers start rising up with faith. Yeah. Yes. Secondly, you're here today and you say, Paul, I'm not right with God. I need to get right with God. I need to repent. I need to surrender and receive the salvation and mercy and forgiveness of God. I need to let Jesus be Lord of my life. If that's you, raise your hand. Today is your day to get right with the Lord. Come on, don't leave today without making this decision. All right, if you raise your hand for either of those or you need prayer, I want you to leave your seat, take a risk, come and join me at this altar. You're saying today, I'm gonna get my heart beating again with faith. Go ahead, let's cheer on brave men, brave women, and let's worship God as we begin to respond to what he wants to do in us and through us. Yeah, let faith rise up. Let faith rise up. Let's sing this together. rise up.
though I just was, as we were worshiping, I was looking out and I was thinking, it is such an honor to worship with you, church. You are an amazing body of Christ, an amazing family of God. I just heard the Lord say, the children of God are precious in my sight. The children of God are precious in his sight. And I got this visual image, um, something that, that we used to see every week when I was younger, my dad used to always point it out to me um, that over our church, there's a group of like geese that fly over our church. And, uh, and they always form a flying V as they fly over our church. And, and I saw it again this past week, them just flying and, and they're forming this V. And, and I was thinking about how, you know, our world has so many things that people are upset about, divided about, even in the church. Uh, I had even people asking me, you know, what'd you think about so-and-so and this guest speaker and they have a different view than you on this. And I said, uh, I said, at the end of the day, we just have a bigger battle to fight than getting caught up over things that, you know, just petty. And I think, I just want y'all to know as a church, um, there's so many decisions being made that you gotta make what's best for your family, for your home, for your company. But at the end of the day, y'all, we have a savior that we all agree on named Jesus. And we have a flying V formation that we're gonna fly together and bring hope to a city and a world that's full of despair. And um, I was sitting in the back room with, with Bishop Jakes and with a couple different speakers. And, and one of the people back there said, you guys, y'all are so different. You guys come from different camps, different thoughts. And, and he said, you know what? We're living in a time where the world just needs to see the body of Christ working together as much as possible and standing. And I think what we need right now in this hour, even as I was looking at this message, I was thinking, you know, Jonathan took a stand of faith even when no one else was in that time. But he wasn't alone. There was, the armor bearer was with him. And I, I think, you know, as some of you in this church are taking a stand of faith in your family, in your company, in your school, and, and you're, you're around people who may not agree on everything, that you would continue to guard your heart and remember you're not alone. And there's other brothers and sisters of Christ in this church that are standing with you, praying with you. And I believe we're gonna see God do a revival this year in our city through this church. I truly believe it. I believe we're seeing it right now. I believe God's gonna use you to bring healing to people, physical healing, people who are sick. I had a guy in the last service come to me and he said, your faith album has been bringing healing to my wife who's in the hospital. She's been listening on repeat, her body's getting better. And the doctors don't understand how she's getting better, but she just keeps on singing those songs of faith over her body. I believe God wants to use you as a believer to bring healing, to bring hope, to bring faith to people who are overwhelmed, who are afraid. I truly believe this victory is not just for you, it's for other people you're connected to. So Lord, I pray right now, God, for every person in this room, every person who's, um, God, even just in a battle, Lord, of, of decisions they have to make, God, whether it's at work or at school or with family or with friends, I pray that they would know they're not alone. I pray, God, that you would just even bring other uh, victory members beside them and around them to know, God, that they're standing beside others that are standing in that same posture of faith. God, that are believing for victory, believing for salvation for family members, believing for healing for family members and friends. I speak life in Jesus' name. God, for those who've lost loved ones, for those who are uh, walking through heartbreak or heartache, God, or just feeling discouraged or defeated, I pray, God, that today, Lord, you would just, like CPR, God, you would just revive their heart, get their heart beating again. God, get their heart full of hope again, full of love again, full of faith again. Lord, I pray that you would drain, God, every offense, everything that's gotten swampy in their heart, in their mind, anything that's just become foggy in there, that today they're getting clarity back. They're getting peace back. They're getting their mind renewed in Jesus' name. Just pray this with me. Say, Jesus, I'm all yours. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins, for my life. You rose from the dead. You are my Lord and Savior. I receive your salvation, your forgiveness. Thank you, Jesus, for renewing my mind, reviving my heart, restoring the joy of your salvation in me. I'm all yours, God. Every day I'm alive, I'm gonna live by faith. In Jesus' name, 
Amen and amen. I love you, Victory. God loves you. You got the victory.